The following program was produced by Community Producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the Community Producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Good evening, and welcome to Marlin 02148. I'm your guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and my guest is Brian DeLacy, De and someone who is uh, familiar to you. He's, you've done a show with me in the past. Yep, yes, I have. you've been on other occasions. Yes. Uh, yeah. Doing a show only once a month, you have, a, you do, you have an interesting ch challenge because um, there are things that do come up that you'd like to touch on, at least, to, uh, and we, tonight we have a very interesting show, so those people that are currently tune in. I hope you'll stay with us. But I did want to touch on a few things before we get into the local issues that we were going to discuss this evening. And um, this is my own take on things, and, then, and I could be totally wrong. And, and uh, if I'm, I'm wrong, I won't say it again. And if I'm right, I'll tell you more than once I was right. But uh, first of all, uh, there's been a lot of discussions about Tom Brady and his situation mm -hmm. with, the, with the Patriots. And my observation for what it's worth, and I have no inside information, and that is that uh, I think some of those stories started from within the Patriots organization, because I think whether it's the coaching staff or the or the management's decision with the kind of money that he would demand for the next year to play football for the, the Patriots, is that uh, it's a difficult transition to separate yourself from someone who's been a loyal and and a very, very productive employee for 20 years. So uh, my, my sense is that some of these stories that are bantering around are things that the, the Patriots, like a Shaughnessy had kind of alluded to in an article he did a couple of days ago, was that um, if he doesn't come back and he, and, 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 uh, to play for the Patriots, then um, chances are, as he's indicated, he, can, he hopes to continue to play, and there may be a team out there that'll, that'll roll the dice on a 43-year-old quarterback and pay him a lot of money. And if they gave him some receivers and, and, a, and a good offensive line, he might take it and he might work out for them um, somewhere else. That's one option. He certainly doesn't indicate he intends to, to, to leave football as an active player, so the other option would be the club would sign him but not kind of pay him what he should be getting. When you look at the... His replacement in San Francisco is making f more money than he is, and he's got a guaranteed contract, and uh, pay, they pay him even more into the future, although not all the money is guaranteed. So anyway, it's an interesting situation, but again, as I uh, just mentioned, I kind of think some of those stories shouldn't be an issue now because there's nothing going to happen until March mm -hmm. because that's the deadline to sign free agents that would be on the current team, and therefore... We've been dealing with this for weeks, even before the playoffs started. So my thinking is that some of these stories are emanating from the club, within the club, to f the favorite uh, sports writers to maybe 
condition people to face up to the fact that he may not be back next year, and if he is, it may not be in Boston. So even though it would be great to retire out of the club you started with, uh, football as other professional sports is a business, and the part of the reason the Patriots have been so successful over the years, they have treated it as a business, and there's been a lot of good players that have gone off that team long before their their, uh, their time was up as a, as a very successful and productive player. So anyway, I don't know whether that's... Yeah, I think you had good analysis, uh, good, yeah, good rep. Yeah. One of the other things, that there's been so much talk about uh, subpoenaing uh, witnesses for the Senate uh, impeachment business, and um, one, of, one of the people who has been kind of on the peripheral edge of it is Joe Biden. And uh, what I find is, uh, with Joe, with all the things that have gone on in the months that the campaign has uh, gone on, he has not lost his top-of-the-notch position among the candidates that are likely to be uh, more likely to be nominated. He seems that uh, the people are with him, and uh, other candidates bounce back and forth with their uh, poll standings or with their positions in the in the in the races, at the, supposedly with some of these primaries. But he consistently is at the top or near the top, and the, the largest group of people among the potential Democrat voters are the people of color. And even though there are other people that uh, of that persuasion, uh, prospectively as candidates, one of whom is still there, Senator Booker, uh, it seems that it, he has great in, inroads into that large segment of, of the voters, and a lot of whom will be obviously candidates. So, uh, at the at the convention, or delegates rather, but. Um, I think one thing maybe he could consider doing, there's been a lot of talk about his son and him and the gas company in Ukraine, is if if he volunteered to testify in the Senate impeachment process, no strings attached, if he's as pure as the driven snow, supposedly as he appears to be to so many of the potential voters, that, that in that way he could set, upset the dynamics of what's going on right now. And more important than that, he would force the issue with the Republicans. If they wouldn't let him testify after he offered to testify, then that certainly would suggest that they don't have an intention to give a, uh, an impartial process to, to the whole thing. The other part of it is, if he won't testify, and I mean, I know it's, it's, it would be a big thing to do because you, you, it might go too far beyond what you would ought to like to talk about is how little you had to do what went on in the Ukraine is that um, it won't give him any more credibility, but then if he did testify, it would give him a huge amount, and that transparency could be a big factor in the next election. Mm-hmm. But e- either way, um, it could either be a factor that would make a difference in his being nominated, but, but equally important, it could, I think it would make a big difference if, if the thing ever came to fruition, that uh, it would almost make him a strong favorite to, to, to win. So, again, that's my thoughts. And... Um, my final comment is there's been so much going on in the news about Iran, and, um, you know, you, you, sometimes you get immune to what's going on because no matter what news program you, you, you turn on, it's on. And, and, you, and you, what you heard at noontime, you hear at 6 o'clock, and what you heard at 6 o'clock, it's repeated at 11 o'clock. And it would, it would appear, in my limited knowledge, that the Iranians shooting those missiles off as they did. They didn't intend to have it hit anything that was going to extend or uh, acerbate the problem. I think that the, but 
when we deal with it as a as someone on the sidelines, um, it makes a difference how you may emotionally get attached to what's going on. But uh, I bring that up only because Brian, who's the guest this evening, has more experience in it than, far more than I do because his daughter, who's a graduate of the academy, is currently um, stationed not not anywhere near the war zone, so to speak. But she's she's been in Korea and they've had mm -hmm, some. Mm -hmm. You know, some tension there, and then she's currently in uh, Texas or Alaska. Alaska. Alaska, but yeah. probably going to be de deployment somewhere else. So she's, so she's someone that um, um, could possibly end up in the Middle East, the Middle East, which is always a concern because things happen that aren't always uh, positive with the people that defend our country. So those are some of the thoughts that I had. And we had the city inauguration Monday night. And uh, there's an old adage about the more things change, the more they remain the same. <laughs> and uh, although I don't remember now, and I was there, I don't remember anything being said about the hospital property, but um, that's been a, su a subject for discussion and controversy for 20 years now. And I don't know uh, it, what's going on. It, it seems to me the last time he came on, came on my guest, Brad, we talked about That's what that. we talked about, yeah. 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 What, what's happening there? Yeah. A a lot. So, and if I could just interject, and uh, from the inauguration, where when the mayor spoke, and one of the things, the current mayor, yes. not not, uh, uh, and he talked about he recognized veterans and the role that veterans play in uh, everyday life in and around Malden, and it really is important. And so, um, my daughter's, uh, you know, been in the Alaska area, and it was a lot of her kind of uh, brothers and sisters in arms from the East Coast in the airborne paratrooper forces. That was the group that was deployed to the Middle East, thousands of them, fairly recently. So it's kind of a sister battalion of sorts, uh, sister brother battalion. And and on that note, actually, and she was in South Korea, and uh, while she was there, one evening outside of the senior center, I saw Senator Markey, who at the time was working on things related to actually South Korea and the Korean Peninsula in general. And uh, it's my understanding one of the things he's working on now actually is with respect to the Arctic. So the great Arctic is changing because it's a thoroughfare between, you know, from Russia and, and it literally as the ice fades, uh, it becomes more of a commercial route. Uh, but, but to bring us up to the hospital site, that just... Uh, it's changed. It has changed. And so, so you know that the developers who had uh, essentially a purchase and sale agreement with the owners of the hospital site, they have separated. For They no longer have a purchase and sale that's active. So it's solely in the control of the hospital owners at this point in time. And those people must, must walk away with a lot of expenses related to it. Over the years, they've had all sorts of uh, design People come in and they have all kinds of, they've had attorneys in negotiations and they, they have public meetings here in the city over the years. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I also thought something, those issues um, become a political football because it's easier sometimes to be against something than for something. And by being against it, you satisfy the people who. Um, maybe live in that area who don't want anything to change from where it is, which is now just a, for the most part, a vacant property that uh, is <laughs> gradually running down so that maybe it becomes uninhabitable anyway. And uh, yeah. it would be a tear down, as they suggest. Uh, I recall some years ago, uh, there was a uh, property up on uh, Highland Avenue and uh, they were going to build some houses. And uh, I, I think it was on the council at the time. Anyway, they had public hearings and the people came in 
they were against the building, and uh, I remember it went before the planning board for the variance that the developer wanted to, to do the building and he, he was planning to do, and uh, of course the neighbors got up and said they didn't want anything, they liked it the way it was. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. finally the uh, person that was chairing the meeting said, well, you know, you're going to have to have something there, that's private property, and I think the hospital site is going to have to have, will have something done, whether it will please the neighborhood Probably not, but what what also does happen is the people that were there 20 years ago opposed to maybe some of the proposals are long gone for different reasons, and the, the people that are currently coming in buying homes or settling in that area, they may, may be a bit more open-minded about, about letting something yeah. get done that's, that's at least satisfactory to the city and uh, also uh, sufficient for the developer to move forward and get something done that could work for him, too. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of full disclosure, when I got in the race to run for the counselor of Ward 3 back in 2015, it was related to the hospital site. And it wasn't with a particular uh, bias or objective or do this or do that, but it was just do something, yeah. do something good for the community. And it is a little startling that here we are, you know, more than four years later with really nothing that has changed for the better. So uh, another change, in addition to the hospital, of course, is that there's a new Ward 3 counselor. And uh, I believe she'll really be good for not only Ward 3, but for the city. And so we'll, you know, time will tell. But that's promising, I yeah. think, in terms of bringing people together and moving forward, which is really what Ward 3 needs and what the city needs, too. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's the largest undeveloped land in the city. Yeah. And whatever's going to go there will have some impact on the neighborhood, but it's also going to have impact on the school system, on I impact on the tax yep. revenue. And uh, conversely, if it impacts the school, they, they don't have enough room, I think, now to accommodate all the students now, and, and we're having a problem yeah. uh, adjusting that. So any, any kind of a large development might make some complications for the school. Which it's is a com issue. Yeah. yeah, it's a complicated yeah. problem, yeah. that's yeah. For, yeah. for sure. So hopefully it'll yeah. be a good opportunity for the city to move yeah. forward somehow. There's another issue too, which which has dragged on over the years, and that's at the Sailorwood School and the, and the park that's located there. The uh, huge, yeah. huge, and, uh, big. There's yeah. been some changes that have happened recently. Um, and it, I, it would appear from my observation from the sidelines that the city, in trying to accommodate both the people who were wanting to update the the park and the other people have some concerns about some health issues. I don't know if this satisfied anybody. It, it's it's um, it's not clear, you know, how all this really fits together. A lot of it was precipitated by the adoption of the Community Preservation Act, right? So actually, back in two, 2015, on the ballot, there was a question that uh, voters voted on as to whether or not to increase a tax on themselves to adopt the Community Preservation Act for funds. That's a big part of what is pushing the Roosevelt Park Improvement Project forward. It's the CPA improved, approved project. Well, um, in fact, uh, the, the, the CPA funding is, is, is it, what is it, a quarter of a million dollars towards the cost of the uh, work that's going to be anticipated? So, so in terms of the uh, Roosevelt Park Improvement Project, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's a little complicated in how it, it pans out, but there's a big project, and essentially what happened is the council said, we can, how's that better? 
Oh, okay, good, good. Is that good? Good. Cozy. There we go. Um, this proves it's live, live television, by the way. Yeah, it's live. It's live. Uh, and, uh, well, well, and actually in the studio audience, in terms of lives, uh, you know, we've got Kathy Sullivan, who's been a long-time advocate for, for improvements at Roosevelt Park and Salemwood. And, and so the Community Preservation Act it allows for uh, funding to go towards city projects. And those city projects can be a, a rec suggested by citizens, by city officials, by, you know, a lot of different folks. And, and then the money goes towards those projects. But, but, but a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000, is what was eventually approved for a planning and design phase for what to do at Roosevelt Park. And technically, that's really all that's been approved for that project. The, the entire bill is, seems to be much closer to $2.5 million, give or take. And where's the money coming for that part? It's, very, it's, it's complicated. Uh, almost you know, around $600,000 of it actually is promised by the Baird Foundation. I don't know if you're familiar with the Baird I Foundation. That, yeah. you know, they've done a lot of good work, obviously, for, uh, for, for the city, for the, for the children of the city, for the youth of the city. And, and uh, b because the Community Preservation Act does not allow its funds to be used on this artificial turf, carpet, you've got to find some other mechanism for funding it. And then the balance of the funds actually comes from the taxpayers who, who have contributed as part of their real estate taxes to this fund. They're paying for the balance. Well, it just becomes the, the rest of the money that's needed to, to do what uh, they intend to do, they would become over above that 600000 would just come from funding from the city's budget, which would either be a bond or other kinds of... Uh, uh, allocations from other sources? Actually, it would. So, if six hundred thousand came from the Bear Foundation, give or take, and the numbers aren't always completely clear, but and, and approximately two million for for the balance of the funding from within the city's coffers. That money actually comes from the community preservation oh, it does. fund strictly. Oh, it's 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 under the current now. And so it doesn't get commingled with people's real estate taxes that go towards the schools or towards the Department of Public Works or the water system or anything like that. It comes from a segregated fund. You run into problems if you have cost overruns and things like that. Additionally, however, uh, and this was part of the current plan, bonding can be applied to Community Preservation Act funds but the, the repayment of that bond, of that borrowing, would come from future community preservation contributions. Well, my, uh, aside from the, the other issues that are, uh, are part of this process that's been going on for some time with, this, with, this, with the park there at the school, uh, it, it seems to me that's a little inconsistent to take all that money from that one source for one park, for for one school. I mean, to me, the purpose of the um, conservation money was to benefit the city in, in uh, maybe in, uh, historical sites, maybe in renovating uh, things that would be uh, uh, damaged over time, or, or right. whatever, whether it be a statue right. at BB or it would be something at the cemetery or the, at the library. But that to, to, to take and because uh, I, I looked at the budget, and I think this. The uh, the current year preservation fund is about almost it's about nine hundred plus million uh, nine hundred thousand yeah. dollars is the funding amount from the from that source, 
And if you if you own a home in mall, then you probably recently got a notice that your taxes have been probably going to go up, even to <laughs> the uh, tax rate. The tax rate goes down, and your taxes go up. And you say, well, how does that happen? Right, well, it right, happens because right. they they lower your taxes because they raise your assessment, right, and right, that's what right, determines right. what you pay for taxes. So if the assessment goes up, that means on the next budget year, which will start July first. There'll be more money in that preservation fund than there was this year because, even though maybe the, the building hasn't increased that much, the the, the assessments assessments have and the taxes yeah. have, and you'll get more money because the, a little portion of that, like your sales tax, goes into the the fund, and that's where the money comes to do what they have to do. I didn't realize all of the costs of that park was going to be. Uh, generated from that one source. I thought it was about, uh, you know, and, and I've heard people say that, oh, you know, if there are cost overruns that, you know, we'll make it up. Which usually is. We, right. We'll, we'll make it up. And, mm. uh, you know, but I'd like to see it. Yeah. And and then the question is, where does it come from? Yeah. And and who foots the bill? And, yeah. so, and that actually has been, uh, in terms of the large size of this one particular project. So, so for instance, we proposed a group of residents proposed improvements at High Rock Park, right? And it was, it was mere small amounts of, you know, pocket change, literally, in comparison. Uh, and it had a big benefit. And it involved the community and volunteers, and there's new signage, and they're improved. As opposed to multi-million dollar projects, which will have a long-term impact on the ability of the city and the community preservation initiative to continue with these kinds of projects. Because it really just, it's almost like it sucks all the oxygen out of the room, you know? Um, so, so that's been a criticism. Uh, another concern in and around this project is, whose project really is this? Who wants to do an athletic, artificial turf, multi-acre field as a playground for the Salem Wood School, right? Does that make sense? And so who was involved in the decision-making, in the input? And that's raised a lot of questions. Well, well getting back uh, just for the funding uh, mechanism, um, should it prevail and the, the, it, some finalization is made of the, of the reconstruction of the park? And, it, mm -hmm. and the number you mentioned is a couple of million dollars plus mm -hmm. the donation from the um, Beard Foundation. And I, I'm surprised to hear it costs that much for the design cost. But anyway, aside from all of that, um, that's not spread out. The payment for that wouldn't be spread out over the years that we get the money. You'd have to bond a portion Correct. of the part that you didn't have to pay up front and then amortize the bond payments out of the future monies coming in. So that w in itself would um, take away uh, any most other options for several years before you finally paid it all off. Right, it it would. It's yeah. a, it's and, and people haven't discussed that. No, I uh, in fact, I, haven't, I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah. part, that yeah. two million part. Yeah. But there's far more than that. There's, there's the health issues that people talk about with the, the way they're doing the park uh, construction. So, right, so there are real concerns. And um, uh, there are both environmental concerns, there are health concerns. The earliest concerns, which ultimately the city did respond to when a group of citizens, uh, including Kathy Sullivan here in the, in, in the audience, and we've got a letter that we'll talk about from a bunch of other people who have signed on. Uh, the original proposal was to put this crumb rubber which is basically shredded tires as essentially the softening component beneath the, the carpet. And uh, 
uh, that has a lot of, you know, benzene is like a carcinogen, and, and there were a lot of health concerns. The city actually eventually, through persistence of the community, responded and acknowledged and said, look, we're not going to use crumb rubber, these, you know, shredded tires. 40,000 tires goes into a typical football field under the rug, you know. And we're going to use an organic material, uh, such as coconut fiber is something that has been, and there's some other materials that have been talked about. But those actually generally cost more, number one. People haven't really talked about the, the heightened cost, because there's actually other uses for coconut fiber. There really aren't other uses for shredded tires. We all know you got to pay to get rid of them. Um, in addition to, to the material concerns, the health concerns of exposure to kids, it's well known, it seems well known by medical officials that the impact, the concussive impact on an artificial turf field, particularly as they wear over time and get harder, there's a greater risk of concussion and injury than in a natural grass field, right? Additionally, given the location of this specific field, y you know it's a flood zone, right? And, and there are wetlands attached to it. And at least I've seen evidence to indicate that some of these organic materials they don't hold up well in flood zones. Some suggest they might not even be warranted in flood zones. And you do, the thing is, these don't last forever. They might last for 10 years, and then you get to change it all out, and it's another half a million dollars down the road. So it's not just the initial cost up front, and people don't like to really talk about this. I hate to, now, there's wear and tear on grass fields, and you do need to regenerate grass fields as well, and you, do, you need to maintain grass fields. But the thing is, you also need to maintain artificial turf fields, right? Generally speaking, rule of thumb, 10 years, at about 10 years, the costs are relatively break even of natural grass versus artificial turf. And your earlier point, Ed, about the quarter of a million dollars seeming like it's a lot for a design phase. It was, it was more than, was a quarter of a million, six, okay. It's quarter of a million dollars, $600,000 from the Baird Bay Foundation yeah. okay. pays for the, the, the synthetic surface yeah. that the state doesn't allow. Right. Uh, but the quarter million dollar design phase, that in and of itself is a pretty big amount, which I've been told is, you know, substantially higher than what some people have seen. So there's no doubt about it. The city has, has uh, feels that that field uh, needs to be improved and is really kind of working hard to try and figure out how to do it. All right, but the, but the field itself, that's going to, what, what sports, we, at what point when it's finally done, what sports are going to benefit, benefit from it? So, uh, um, you ask a good question, okay? So, so look, here's, here's, here is the, the story. Uh, the question is, who's driving this project forward? We, we all know that that area is utilized every day the kids are in school for recess by, you know, a whole lot of kids, right? So you know that that use is clear. It's a playground. The current use, it might be used by flag football. It's intensively used by an adult softball league. There are two field, two softball fields there. Uh, it's also used by youth in, in uh, youth sports. Softball might be used by Pop Warner for practice. And uh, th there, there are dreams about how much it might be used in the future. It's my belief that there isn't a usage projection that indicates it will get the kind of utilization that people believe. So softball, football, maybe, uh, and... Uh, like Pop Warner? 
Could be Pop Warner. Uh, they don't play there now. Uh, the, most, they, they may practice there oh. now. My understanding is they, they play at McDonald Stadium. I might be a little bit out of it. There's been talk that there are middle school programs that are coming along. I've looked into this a lot, actually. And uh, d d let's not forget that Pine Banks, which the city spends a half million dollars a year on to maintain, which is more than the city spends on the maintenance of all the other parks in the city. That has a beautiful state-of-the-art softball field. It has beautiful soccer fields. It has beautiful baseball fields. It has beautiful lacrosse fields, both grass and artificial turf, right? And, and essentially, all of the school-based programs get to play there for free, right? So, but it's underutilized. There are many uh, open scheduling times that if it were better utilized, you know, there might not be the demand. But, but there are some groups that really seem, oh, I almost forgot, soccer. So soccer is uh, a, a large sport for youth, particularly, right? And, and uh, it's, but also there's a proposal in to improve Dever Park, and, which is grass, and is a very large park. Dever Park, and they'll include enhancements, improvements that will make it even better for soccer as well. So between soccer and softball, they seem to be the two driving forces behind the push for artificial turf at Roosevelt Park. Well, um, right now, what is the park used for? Uh, it's, it's used for some mix of those activities, some practice for Pop Warner, some flag football for K through, you know, 12 kids even. Uh, uh, last year, according to the research I did, there were 20 evenings that were uh, permitted for adult softball and where they would play from 6 o'clock at night until 9 o'clock at night under the lights, which, by the way, cost the city a couple thousand dollars a year to run. Who's paying for those? The taxpayers are. And, uh, and soccer plays, you know, soccer plays all around the city, including at Pine Banks. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a complicated mix of all the different parks that are out there. But, but again, the driving force is, uh, it seems, largely driven by athletic programs. Primarily, there are really three, it seems, youth soccer, adult softball, and uh, some Malden Public School uh, athletic department programs. The, uh, I saw something in the paper recently, it's been, in fact, there's been a couple of items, uh, about Trafton Park. Is, is, isn't there a system in place now to uh, renovate that park? Yeah, yeah, and, and now th they, uh, there is. That, so that's another Community Preservation Act. Oh, it is? It, it is, it is. It's another Community Preservation Act program. They approached it very differently in terms of, uh, in terms from a project perspective, okay? So uh, they got a lot of community involvement. I think they had two or three, I think probably three community meetings where upwards of 40 people came together and talked about what they thought would be good at the park. And, uh, and, and so they're making some changes from, they, they have, you know, sort of uh, beautiful landscape design considerations of how they can improve the park. They split it up into kind of a multi-year, multi-phase. So they do the design, they come back, they, they get the input of the community, they come back, and they come up with a plan for to proceed, and then they would have a follow-on project application that would be for the funding of the project. Mm -hmm. Whereas Roosevelt Park, that project was, it was all one big, you know, into the system, we're going to do it all under one umbrella, uh, under one funding mechanism. In fact, I thought that Roosevelt Park uh, project, was good. there was some funding from the state. 
So in, in the past, there, you know, there has been, there have been multiple attempts to, to do uh, projects at, at uh, Roosevelt Park. To my knowledge, there, in fact, at Trafton Park, which you referred to, uh, I think they got a so-called park grant, yeah. which is P-A-R-C. It's not P-A-R-K, but park grant, I think for $400,000. Yeah, that's nice. And I believe that was facilitated by the Malden Redevelopment Authority um, to, to, to do that. So uh, another proposal that was submitted was for Amridge Park. Right, so uh, those the, the tennis courts are you know uh, I know people who played there through the high school years, and you know the cracks opened up into the Grand Canyon of to the point where they actually couldn't utilize all of the uh, the tennis courts because but but now another thing, so of course you know we've got the beautiful Howard Park right in the Rotundi Field, the beautiful baseball field, but Howard Park, which was dedicated some you know a handful of years ago, uh, it's got beautiful tennis courts, it's got a beautiful play area for children, but what's happened is the old Maplewood Park, artificial turf, uh, Malden activities have gravitated from there over to Howard Park, so, so Maplewood Park is primarily used for rentals at this point in time, many of which are from outside the city. Even so, that's another big question: who, not only what is being played there, but who is who is who is using them? Are they Malden residents, or are they folks from outside the city? You know, and it's great to have inner city competitions or even teams, but it's the Malden taxpayers who are who are paying for these fields. Yeah, one of the things you had said earlier was that uh, at, at the uh, about ten years, it ends up the cost. Is about the same. That's generally accepted as, as yeah. And that that is speaking in terms of whether you're going to have a uh, grass in its natural state or an artificial. Right, right. So because because you have to replace the artificial turf. It's at at some point in and around that time horizon, and that's a big amount of money, half million dollars, maybe more. Uh, whereas the cost of grass in terms of maintaining it and aerating it and, you know, uh, and caring for it might be a little bit more on a year-to-year -year basis. But at the end of the 10 years, you don't have to completely dig it up and replant it. But you do with the artificial turf. But even with grass, isn't it a uh, system in place where you have to temp leave it dormant in between times to let it, let it kind of get its strength back uh, because of the constant use? It could cause a more of a... Uh, cost factor when you do finally you have to t replace it so so um, the the, uh, the research I've done anyways and, and generally speaking I haven't seen a lot of this uh, documentation and in, in the project review process but based on the, the the sort of study I've done of the hours of play at Ro Roosevelt Park it's somewhere around 400 to 600 hours a year in terms of on-field use, including everything, children, uh, you know, for playgrounds, uh, uh, recess and things like that. Uh, and that, generally speaking, you know, from the experts in uh, graph uh, technology, gra that, that's fine. That's manageable. That's without a lot of letting it go. Because, you know, it kind of goes dormant during the winter months, generally speaking, and it rejuvenates. When you get up into the higher intensity of thousands of hours of use, then you really have to, you know, you have to let it rest. You have to move people around from park to park. And I still believe Malden has enough parks, particularly with Trafton and Amridge and Dever and Pine Banks, all of which I believe are underutilized, and, and I think the numbers show it. You could still move people around. But based on the utilization of Roosevelt Park today, 
you don't need to do that even because there just isn't that much demand. Now, if you start renting out Roosevelt Park to commercial enterprises or to, you know, regional leagues or for statewide tournaments, or you, you can imagine some people might want to do that for the revenue that goes with it, then you're, you're in a different business. But, you know, does Malden really want to be in the business of renting its parks out for other people to use? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a different business model. Yeah, but it's also short-term benefit because ultimately there's a cost factor there because you're using it. Overutilization is a problem. Real, it really is, yeah. 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 Well, the, the group of people um, that are imposed, and Kathy is a person who's been a strong advocate. Uh, in, in, um, what's Plan B? <laughs> so, so Plan B is actually, you know, I, I think for you know a, a group of people, that's it's really Plan A, yeah. right? So, so uh, the, the well, somebody, excuse me, started off by saying this is a great thing to do to the, to that park is to have artificial turf, have all these various activities going on, and then to me, I I would think the almost the first question is. Well, what about the being, being a flood zone? I mean, how practical is that to have a, a, a park that's uh, subject to, uh, to heavy rainfall or melted snow and create a problem? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question, and actually it's very timely. So what we have here is we have two letters, okay, that are uh, j just published today, and they're making their way to uh, the mayor's office and other city officials. In uh, terms include of the newspaper, or just uh, is it being sent to the newspaper? Oh, that's actually a good idea. The the studio audience is applauding silently. Well, one of the things is I don't think people really realize unless you live nearby or you you're you part of your your career is at the school, either virtually being a parent or a staff person, or maybe children went there, that the impact. And uh, again, being a flood zone issue, I would think that would have a a very uh, major reason why you evaluated that on a different basis than you would from what seems to have gone on so far. Right. Who's been the motivating force to do the changes that they, they want? When they, they first were going to do the artificial turf, and then they were, now they've made some changes. But who's the, who's the motivator from the beginning? So, so, uh, so that's <laughs> hello, a good, hello, hello, hello. That, anyway, that, go ahead. That's go a ahead. good question. So, the, the, the uh, so, so it, it's very, in all honesty, the sports groups have been lobbying. You know, I've seen it yeah. in writing. I've seen yeah. it in in uh, public communications because there's a belief about that they will have better playing conditions for high intensity athletic activity. Uh, th that will be more readily playable, that they won't have to worry about fluctuating con conditions. Some people believe, and it seems to be true, rain might evaporate quicker, snow might even melt it faster. So there's a sense that they'll get more playing time. So, so it, it's not surprising that group, and there are, there's a cluster of people who are behind it. I think the city officials, they want to improve th the park and that space, those acres, it, by the way, the things we didn't talk about, it's well known that artificial turf surfaces are much hotter, much hotter, particularly at, at ground level, than grass. Like, you know, it might be 80 degrees out uh, on a given day over grass. If you're sitting on that turf, it might be 135 degrees or more, okay? 
So, so in terms of the plan A, plan B, uh, there are two letters. Just last night there was a vulnerability assessment meeting. I don't know if you were aware of that. I was not. That, that the city hosted, and it's a statewide initiative where the state is now concerned about climate change and, and warming and, uh, in, in particular, flooding is, is with the rising uh, levels of, of water. Uh, you know, there are many areas in and around the Boston area uh, that essentially are susceptible to the, you know, 100-year floods. And that's what this Roosevelt Park is susceptible to. And it's not just Roosevelt Park. It's the neighborhood in and around Roosevelt Park. So at the vulnerability assessment meeting last night, which I didn't attend, but I've heard from multiple people. Where was it held? Uh, the senior center. It was held in the, the senior cafeteria okay. or the, it was held in the senior center cafeteria. Okay. And, and the state has to incentivize communities, my understanding is there are about 21 of them statewide right now, to address these issues looking out into the future so that we're not flooded under, but we've done things as municipalities in advance. Uh, to, to anticipate and address. It's my understanding, I think grant money was pr provided by the state to the city, might have been in the order of under $50,000, something like that. Consultants were hired, and Ed, at the meeting last night, the consultants did as much as nod their approval that you need to be concerned about the Roosevelt Park area because it's both an asset and a liability, as Kathy has said, uh, because essentially it was originally designed, it appears, as a collecting point for water overflow. On the other hand, it's highly susceptible to flooding. So if you put this expensive, you know, investment in there, 10, 20 years from now, it might be flooded out and, you know, you've got a whole host of issues. So, so it does seem that the people who are forthright and transparent about these concerns, they'll let you know, boy, they'd have real questions about putting an artificial turf field there. But there are other people who are motivated to see it go in there who will be quick to try and, and uh, you know, not address that that transparently and head on. So there are two letters actually that have, have been produced and I'll refer to them here. Actually, one other thing that has actually happened just within the past month or six weeks, uh, people may have seen that at Roosevelt Park some chain link fencing has gone up around the softball field at the west end of, of the park. What happened in order to do any kind of project like this, you've got to do soil testing. And the soil testing that was done discovered elevated levels of lead, in particular, in and around that softball field. And it, it required that those levels be reported to the state. So the city has somewhere around, I don't know if it's 60 days or 90 days, or it's on a, it's on a time clock to come up with a plan on how to deal with that. Because, of course, you can't have high elevated levels of lead, particularly in the backyard of a school. They change it off to keep it, you know, keep kids in, off of it. And uh, they've got to come up with a, a mitigation plan or an adjustment plan. And where the lead come from? So th that, in fact, is the first question that they, uh, I've been told by, you know, state officials that they basically have to ask. They have to figure out what's going on here, where did it come from, and what are you going to do to keep it from, so. The continental can from years ago. Was it continental can from years ago? You know, was was it somehow fill that was put in there at the time the school was built? You know, how long? That's has, more logical. Uh, you know, how long has it been there? Um, but it's it's a concern, and so that at the same time is being worked through. So, so in fact, one of these letters is a letter going to the state environmental agency requesting that they issue a stop work order 
at that location to essentially impede any further work on this Roosevelt Park Improvement Project until it's fully understood what is going on there. And the other letter is basically expressing a desire of grass over artificial turf. So I, I think the people who are involved in this and who have signed off on this, I think sending it to newspapers and the press is, uh, is a great idea and that'll happen. Now the, when you say the people, uh, is this like a, a, an ad hoc group who got together? Yeah, ex ex that's exactly what it is. And so uh, the letter and Kathy and, and uh, has had a lot to do with it and uh, full disclosure, I'm part of it. Uh, it's, it's, this letter is signed the Friends of Roosevelt Park and the Salemwood community. Okay. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's both for the park in the community. Uh, the thing that's pretty interesting, I think and this who is... who signed the letter? Uh, boy, you ask all these tough questions. So uh, it's a combination of, of parents, some school administrators, and some civic activists okay. who are... Con and we'll, and we'll, we'll publish it on Malden News Network, actually. And are hopefully you one of the signers? I am one of the signers, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, you, I'm, when you were introduced, you were introduced as a civic... I'm a, I'm a civic activist on this because because I believe it's in the best interests of the you know I've looked enough into this from a health perspective from an environmental perspective and frankly from an economic taxpayer perspective and it, it and and looking at the existing resources that the city of Malden has you know I'm convinced this does not make economic sense it does not make health sense it does not make environmental sense in addition this particular community which is in sort of an environmental justice area uh it has that community has not been involved in this project in the way for instance trafton park has right the other thing we talked about heat heat island effects that you know artificial turf pro uh, fields are much hotter at the surface level uh, I think it's something like four of the five artificial turf fields, and they're like four artificial turf fields, all within, uh, you know, a very tight radius in that immediate area, in that immediate ward, frankly. Uh, you know, you've got Maplewood Park, you've got, I think the Malden Catholic Field is artificial turf, if I'm not mistaken. You've got Howard Park, uh, and, you know, this would become another uh, artificial turf field, okay? And, and so you've got this heat, heat effect, which long-term has uh, detrimental consequences. Not the least of which is to say, you know, if they're playing at, at night under the lights, people have talked, well, we can play until 11 o'clock at night. I wonder what the neighbors think of that. So, uh, but, but just to quickly profile People may not know this. I guess I didn't really particularly know it, that the uh, first language not English at the, uh, at the Salemwood School is at 70%, 70%, fully 70% of the students who attend the Salemwood School, English is not their first language. Is that by design or is that by accident? Because um, I had, uh, I know, well, it's nothing directly to do with this, but I remember talking to a couple of parents, one of whom lived across the city, and their child was assigned to the Salemwood School, and they had not only had to drive the, the student, the child to the school, they had to turn around and go back over the other side to go to work, and it was really a problem. And I thought, gee, that was very unfair. And I asked them, and, and anyway, they were minority, and I, I don't. They, they kind of felt that that's maybe the part of the reason they guess their child was there as opposed to another school. But anyway, that, that's kind of interesting, 70%. And, and, and the thing is, and, you know, to the credit of the Mullen Redevelopment Authority, the, when, when this public health alert was issued, which is basically what they did, um, they eventually published the health notice in multiple languages. So even something simple like getting notification out 
to the community of interested parties at the Salem community is difficult if English isn't the first language of the students and presumably it's not the first language of uh, the adult or guardian in the household. So in terms of how you make that connection back to the, the you know the families of uh, Salem Wood School, it, it poses some real real challenges that you've got to be extra sensitive to. I think so. There are these two letters that are going to go out. They'll go out with the signatories on it. One is basically asking for the city to take a step back and reconsider uh, the proposal to use artificial turf at Roosevelt Park, and the other is a you know is a fairly direct. The state should Im impose a stop work order because of the health risks now, associated with what's there. Now the same group sent the two letters? And the same group, yeah. So, yeah, okay. so it's actually getting to a point where uh, multiple, and, and, and it's a, a varied group in the sense that some people are. They're parents. They're parents of older kids. They're parents of younger kids. They live in the neighborhood. They care about the health and science of it and the environment of it. Other people care about the economics of it. So it's not just a unidimensional group that, you know, that's just like all tree huggers or something like that. I, I, and, and the thing is, I think certainly myself included, we care a lot about the athletic uh, activities that particularly our youth in the city of Malden have exposure to. Man, I'm as big a fan and advocate for that, I think, as anybody, that uh, it's, it's, it's a critical element, the athleticism, the athletic activities, the exercise activities for the children, for the school children of Malden. I mean, that's right up there with academics and, and uh, you know, social activities. Would, would the city uh, be able to leverage those numbers as far as the 70% uh, and get some funding from other sources at the state level because they could rationalize that the purpose of the school's field improvement is because the students themselves are a minority. And yeah, so, and that actually addresses, Ed, one of the other elements of this, which is that um, this idea of it being an environmental justice community, which, which everybody in, is, is sort of entitled to equal rights in the environment is sort of the way the, the story goes. And, uh, and so you can't discriminate in the same way you can't discriminate against people uh, f you, in terms of job opportunities or schooling. You can't discriminate against them uh, for the environment in which they live. And so this, this fundamental question is, are you imposing a disproportionate burden on this community, which is already economically uh, disadvantaged in, in many ways? That's, that, and is that burden unfair for them to absorb? And so some of the argument that has gone into both these letters basically addresses that. That, that uh, it's not just a preference. It's not just the idea of uh, what is a better playing field or a recess or exercise field. It really is what's environmentally, economically, and civically just for the, for the community. And people have not really grapp grappled with that yet. Uh, so there's a lot going on here. The environmental vulnerabilities, the flood zone stuff, the wetlands nearby, the, uh, you know, lead contamination. Man, it couldn't, you know, if, if it's not a perfect storm, it's, uh, it's close to it. Well, contrasting Trafton Park process with this type of uh, procedure that's going on with the school, uh, Granted, Trafton Park doesn't have a school there. Although they, 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 there's a charter schools there, and they use it. Yeah, okay. and they, they do use it. Yeah, and they. And yeah. But in fact, they. I think. I think they have some long-term agreement with the city as far as the use of that park, because they. Uh, but anyway, I've asked. I have asked. Yeah, and uh, but 
the, the, the level of involvement of the students or the residents in that area would maybe be far greater. First of all, the, the student population of, of the school itself aren't limited just to neighborhood kids because they, right. they, they bus right. of the, or they drive people, uh, kids over from right. other areas in the city. But uh, you, I could envision where if there was some concern about the 30%, uh, more than the 70%, right. isn't that the 70% aren't interested, is that they just wouldn't be involved because the language itself is a problem for there, them. Y yeah. There are a lot of barriers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, so where does it stand now? This, is, is it the plan is to go ahead and now they're just going to make the change with the coconuts and the... And <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, swap out the tires and move, bring in the coconuts. Maybe they'll save four tires for me. I, I yeah, 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 yeah. You can use them as pillows or something like that. So, so uh, good, no, really good... No, put them on my car. Never mind. Oh, yeah, no rims. No rims included, <laughs> hopefully. But they... they uh, so, so where it is, uh, you know, actually where it is technically... I believe the only thing that's ever been approved on the Roosevelt Park project is the quarter of a million dollars planning and design phase, so which would require a, a new project application for the actual construction. No, that hasn't been spent yet. It's being spent oh, so, as, so the, as so we the speak. Yeah. It's been it was approved. Uh, and the premise is that, that that's something's going to get done, and that's where they got the design process. Cool. Right, right. Okay. So, so, so to the council's credit, what they did is when this project was presented, when the Roosevelt Park Improvement Project was presented, a, a number of people in the community really spoke out against it in, in volume, uh, both taking advantage of the new public comment that was introduced under President DiMaria's uh, council stewardship. It took uh, them long enough to do that. It, anyway. it, it took a long time. <laughs> it took a long time. So, so through, the, through, through concerted efforts of, you know, speaking out, writing to your local, you know, elected official uh, and making known your positions, eventually when it went to a vote, because the way all community preservation projects work is somebody submits an application, this community preservation committee reviews and approves the projects. The projects that they approve then go to the city council. Actually, first they go to the mayor, as I understand it, for his approval or her approval. And then they go to the city council for its basically financing approval. The Roosevelt Park project, when it got to the city council, they did not approve the $2.6 million. Good for them. Good for them. It is, it is uh, you know, worthy of applause. They only, they, they reduced the amount. They said, look, we'll approve the planning and design phase when you get a a design, then you come back and and we'll review it again. Now there's some technicalities in there in terms of do they have to file another application or not, which I believe they do based on city ordinance. Uh, at any rate, it, it's not currently, no design is approved yet. No design is, is you know, fully fleshed out either. So whereas Trafton Park has methodically gone through, they've brought people in before even jumping ahead to, to trying to build things. The design plans that are in the process currently aren't impacted by the material that, that's in the fields or whether it's grass or not grass. Uh, to me, I would think that would be a factor in the design. It is. It is. And that's, and that's a great question. And so I'll, I'll try and just very briefly summarize, okay? So if Dig you... Dig four minutes. If you get artificial <laughs> turf, you only have to remove the top three feet, I think, okay. of, of, uh, of dirt. If it, 12, excuse me, 12 inches. Thank you, Kevin. If, if, if it's artificial turf, you have to remove the top 12 inches. If it's natural grass, you have to remove the top three feet. 
because the sense is that grass is more of an impervious surface, there's more transparent, it flows up and down. So to be safer, you have to go deeper with natural grass. That's one of the cost differentiators on this. But as one person I know who is, uh, you know, essentially a designer of these kinds of fields said is, if you know the stuff is down there and you know kids are going to be playing on it, why would you only go 12 inches down just because somebody tells you that's all you have to remove? If it's there, remove it, particularly, particularly in a K through eight school where these kids are going to be playing on it for nine, ten years of their lives, right? So, so to your point, um, you know, and these are all cost considerations which have not been fully fleshed out. But that's why a grass project up front, you know, back to our 10-year discussion for break-even, grass projects up front may cost more, and this is one of the reasons why. Mm -hmm. You have to remove and then replenish the topsoil, basically, and then you'll have a healthier environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, and, and maybe as an extension of that, you have um, park programs that are in existence that you suggested that there's all kinds of athletic events that go on. But I can think back to years ago that at one point, and Barbara Tundi was involved even yeah. in those days, yeah. uh, the Little League program, they, they actually didn't have enough parks yeah. to schedule all the games. It was a real problem. And then they yeah. ended up, uh, there was a small field at Forest Hill, and um, they ended up utilizing that. And the neighbors there complained because <laughs> some of those houses that abut the school, they're yeah. pretty close to where the, the ball field yeah, is yeah. located. Yeah. And sometimes the foul balls would go back over in the next street. But yeah. the reason I mentioned that was uh, at that time, there were four different leagues in Malden for Major League Baseball. Yeah. There were at least four teams in each league, and then they had a minor league program, and then after that they came up with the uh, T-ball, which was a little chill. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, as years have progressed and evolved, I think Malden now has one league. You're right. Baseball yeah, isn't the sport that kids changed. play. Soccer plays, but... There, are, there are some advocates now who are suggesting kids shouldn't be playing Pop Warner football and because of the, the things that the potentially could happen. But even in soccer, they're bouncing balls off the head, you know, and yeah. maybe there's reasons why they'll do studies that will come up later on. Yeah. So, yeah. But I guess the thing that surprised me most of all is all this money that's – and, and at the time, this uh, preservation money, I think when Malden approved it, there was only – a. a Originally, there was like 11 communities. There were some added since then, yeah. and it ended up um, that um, more communities are now signed up. But the state had matched the money originally, and, I, and now there's so many communities that are involved. I don't think the state gives the same amount of money to the community. So, so one thing I did here, I don't know the exact numbers offhand, but uh, th it's my understanding that the state has actually increased the amount that it kicks in. So th there was that effect where the more municipalities that signed on, yeah. it essentially diluted the amount that went out. Right. But, but I think the state has kind of upped the ante to, well, have to, try, to try and somewhat yeah. readjust. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're, all, we're all getting that casino money from Everett, and now you read the paper, they're laying people off, yeah. so maybe that funding isn't going to be quite as well. But that's, so the, you have two letters that have gone out. Two letters. And they'll, they'll appear in the newspaper. Look for them in a newspaper and near for, you. for people yeah. that are listening, these are some of the issues you, uh, that uh, maybe you, they're on, on the under the ground, so to speak, and it's not something that maybe affects everybody, but... It affects you indirectly because it's, uh, the communities, whether it's Malden or someone, someone else, 
they're spending money that you're paying in taxes yeah. or other fees, and therefore you want it to be utilized to the best possible reason. And so if you didn't have a chance to watch the show in its entirety tonight or someone mentions to you, we're on Saturday and we're going to be on Sunday on a tape version, and the, the live version obviously is tonight, and uh, hopefully we can present these things in such a fashion that it'll get you thinking a little bit and, and maybe... The next step is to get involved by uh, talking to the city officials and make the final decision. So thank you for joining us this evening and look forward to seeing you uh, next week. Thank you, sir. Thank you.